she saw a cardiologist, said that he did very minimal testing and diagnosed her with a condition he referred to as female hysteria syndrome. Happiness, success, freedom, energy, fun, balance, strength, peace. It all stems from our physical and emotional well-being. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion with experts to show you the way. This is Be Well, a podcast from Crossover Health. Not sick is not enough. Being well is a movement to get the most we want out of life. In each of our episodes, we pick a health or lifestyle topic, bring in one of our doctors from the front lines, and have a real conversation. Be well, do good, enjoy life. Hi, this is Danielle Husevelt, Crossover's Health Coach Program Manager. We've decided to give Dan the boot today while he's out of the office because today's episode is on women's health, and we're super excited to have Dr. Carmel O'Donnell, Crossover's Women's Health Clinical Group Lead, as our guest. Just a reminder that the following presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. A little bit about our guest today. Carmel has had the privilege of practicing medicine in a variety of settings, both inpatient and outpatient, including rural settings. She strongly believes in a team approach and providing comprehensive care with a focus on prevention and wellness. She received her BSN from Thomas Jefferson University and subsequently received a post-baccalaureate special science degree at the University of Pennsylvania. Carmel received a degree in Doctor of Osteopathy at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Welcome, Carmel. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's great to be here today. It's wonderful to have you here. So today we're going to be talking about women's health. And it's important to note that although this podcast will probably be interesting to all of our listeners. When we're talking about women's health, we're we're talking about topics that really pertain to those who are female assigned at birth. So Carmel, I'd love to just start with learning more about your practice. Where did your interest in women's health come from? Danielle, honestly, from the beginning of my career, I started to recognize a pattern where women's symptoms were often overlooked were not taken seriously. And this led to the development of misdiagnoses or delayed diagnosis. So over the years, I personally diagnosed women with various conditions, such as thyroid or heart disease, when they were previously told that those symptoms were due to conditions such as anxiety or stress. That's what really sparked my interest and passion for women's health. And for me, highlighted the importance of education and empowering women to be their own health advocates. Yeah, you see, so you are really seeing the ramifications of women maybe being dismissed or symptoms being overlooked, and you wanted to do a little extra digging into actually what was happening with these women, and then taking it an extra step to teach women how to be their own advocates. So... Carmel, you know, you've had a long history in women's health. Do you have any stories that really come to mind that exemplify sort of what you're talking about in terms of maybe women being dismissed in healthcare? Absolutely. And unfortunately, there's 
so many examples, but one that comes to mind was a long time ago, a coworker of mine asked my professional opinion because she was having episodes of tachycardia where her heart rate would go really fast. She saw a cardiologist, said that he did very minimal testing and diagnosed her with a condition he referred to as female hysteria syndrome. Now that term is barbaric, but actually thousands of years ago, it was a common diagnosis that women would receive that was a catch-all phrase and implied that all their symptoms were in their head. For this particular patient, however, I recommended that she see another cardiologist. And after doing so, she was diagnosed with an electrical abnormality of her heart and ended up needing surgery. And she did very well. And all of the previous symptoms she had resolved with treatment. Wow. I'm I'm, I'm sort of speechless <laughs> that, <laughs> um, that someone would take a look at that presentation and come up with a diagnosis of female hysteria syndrome. Very, very interesting. Yes. Especially at this time, right? We should right. be far more advanced. Yep. Seems like we would be past that. But it, yes. that is a great example of, of what you were talking about. Tell me a little bit about why do we need to recognize that there is a difference between men's health and women's health? I mean, it seems so obvious, but as you just described, maybe it isn't so obvious. So can, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure thing. So there are lots of differences between men's health and women's health. Some center on the incidence of certain conditions. For example, some conditions are more common in women than men and vice versa. There's also a difference in some presentations or manifestations of the same illness. So for example, heart disease may present a lot differently in women than in men. There's also differences in response to treatment as well as accuracy of diagnostic studies. And all of these changes can really be explained by biologic factors, such as sex chromosomes, hormones, as well as anatomic and physiologic differences. Right. So there are significant differences between uh, a women's a w- women's anatomy and men's anatomy. And, and I think it's important to point out that goes just beyond the obvious you know, reproductive organs, right? And you mentioned um, heart disease as being one of those issues where the anatomy and the symptoms can look very different than than the male counterpart. Absolutely. Um, For the differences between the presentation of heart disease in both men and women could be explained by physiologic differences. Men tend to have obstructive coronary artery disease in the large coronary arteries, whereas women tend to have obstructive coronary artery disease in the smaller arteries, which branch off from the larger arteries. Plaque formation in men tends to be in a focal point. In women, the plaque formation tends to be more diffuse, and that's why women don't have stents as often as men do. There's hormonal effects that affect the diameter of the coronary arteries, so women tend to have more narrow coronary arteries, and women are also more likely to have inflammation and abnormalities in the lining of their coronary arteries. So for example, even though both men and women have chest discomfort as the most common symptom of a heart attack, 
Other symptoms that are atypical that women tend to experience are pain in the neck, jaw, shoulders, upper back, upper extremities, as well as upper abdomen. In addition to other symptoms that you may not think of, like unusual fatigue, dizziness or lightheadedness, nausea, vomiting, heartburn, and other symptoms such as shortness of breath. Right. So it presents so differently than how it may present in men that I can see where a lot of that might be overlooked. And then you're missing this this diagnosis in women because it looks so vastly different. How did we go so long in our in the history of medicine not realizing there was such a significant difference between men and women? Yeah, that's truly the burning question. Uh, for such a long time, there was a one-size-fits-all approach uh, to healthcare, and physicians and researchers uh, would think of women's health is really just relating to the gynecologic health and nothing else. So things really haven't changed um, until, didn't start changing until the late 1980s. And that's when physicians and researchers really started to notice a difference. And in 1986, the NIH established a policy encouraging researchers to include women in research trials. And that was pretty profound, the effect that it had. You know, we've come a long way, but we're definitely not there yet. It's very, very true, right? I think we have come a long way, but we're not exactly where we need to be yet. So that brings me to the next point, and it's something that you mentioned at the beginning, which was teaching women to be their own advocates and providing that education. So can you dive into that a little bit for us? Absolutely. Um, Being an educated consumer is important for everyone. Women in particular, it has even a higher importance One of the things that complicates things a little further is that in most situations, women are the primary provider of their household and far too often put the health of their significant others and their children before their own. And that could lead to a delay in seeking care. In addition, because of these other differences I mentioned, these biologic factors, women may not even be aware of certain symptoms that they should be concerned of. So for example, going back to heart disease, again, which is the number one cause of death in men and women, both in the US and worldwide, you know, a lot of women may not even realize that the symptoms they're experiencing, like their arm pain, or their unusual fatigue could actually be signs of a heart attack. So I think that that combination coupled with the fact that some providers are still negating a lot of symptoms women have and attributing it to things like I mentioned before, stress and anxiety. So it's really of the utmost importance that we educate women and make sure that they're aware of things that they need to be doing and ask the questions and being that informed consumer. Right. So it sounds to me like Definitely being informed is part of it, but maybe also being a little bit tenacious and relentless in, yes. your, in your pursuit, especially if you have maybe been dismissed before by other providers. And unfortunately, it does happen. Yep. Finding a provider that will listen yeah, is, is super important. Absolutely. So if you don't feel comfortable and you don't get the answers you like, you know, find a new provider, you know, because it's so important to be heard. And it's 
not okay that we just take what someone says when we know ourselves and our body and we know better, right? That something else is going on. So again, don't stop if the if you don't get the results you need with the first person. So right, that's right. And in terms of being informed and educated, I know one um, sort of slogan out there for women, especially as it relates to heart disease, because they think that that is, um, you know, every February we have heart disease month and women's heart disease. And the slogan is, is always thrown around, know your numbers, know your numbers, know your numbers. But it seems sometimes that it just stops at know your numbers, but we're not ever really told and what are those numbers? Can you just share a little bit with our listeners about, hey, here are just some things that you might want to find out for yourself? Absolutely. So yes, not only knowing your numbers, but knowing what the normal values are and if your numbers are good and what the goal is. So those numbers would be things like blood pressure. You should know a recent blood pressure and know that trying to maintain your blood pressure below 120 over 80 is the goal you want to shoot for. Another number that you should know would be your BMI and making sure that you're at a healthy weight. In addition, waist circumference, normal waist circumference in women is less than 35 inches and in men it's less than 40 inches. And it's important too, because like a high waist circumference is correlated with heart disease. It's linked to type two diabetes, insulin resistance. So it's important to know that number as well as the results of your fasting blood profile, meaning your diabetes screening and your cholesterol screening. So a blood sugar, a fasting blood sugar is important um, and and a, a cholesterol panel as well is important to know. Mm-hmm. Exactly, along with the hemoglobin A1C. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So when they say know your numbers, now you know. So those are the, the, the numbers to seek to know about yourself, but then also, again, knowing what is normal and, um, and having that discussion with your healthcare provider about how your numbers stack up against those that are in the normal range. Yeah. Definitely. Any other advice you would have for women in navigating healthcare? Definitely. Being aware of all the different health screenings that you should be having done, in addition to what we mentioned, knowing when your breast cancer screening is due and your cervical cancer screening, and do you need osteoporosis screening at this point, as well as others that are common to men and women, such as colorectal cancer screening um, and some others. But just really good to have those conversations with your provider, making sure you're up to date with your preventative health exam and well visit. And, you know, this also includes immunizations. And Mm -hmm. so that's really important to know what you need to be up to date on and knowing your history. So your family history also contributes to risk factors, which may require you to have even additional screenings. Right. Okay. So here's what I'm hearing from what you've said. We need to be informed. Right. And, and that means being informed about our numbers, normal numbers, our family history, what screenings we need. So definitely being informed. We want to take the time for ourselves to pursue health. You'd mentioned in the beginning that so often women tend to take, put themselves in the back seat and put their family, their kids, their spouse, maybe their parents' needs ahead of their own. It's important for us to take the time 
to pursue our health and then to be uh, tenacious in advocating for yourself. And again, if you're finding a provider isn't listening to you, it's okay to find a new provider who will have a dialogue with you, who will um, be open and transparent and non-judgmental. So um, those providers are out there. There's many of them. And uh, it's okay to move on from a provider who maybe isn't listening to you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I know that so many of our listeners are going to benefit from the work you're doing and the information that you shared today. Right now, I'd like to just get to know you a little bit better with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Let's go. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite podcast at the moment? I Absolutely love the Bebop podcast. Uh, so I want to put that out there because you guys are doing an amazing job. But I would say right now, the one I'm listening to the most would be Just Be by Bethany Frankel. Oh, excellent. All right. Just Be. What's your favorite guilty pleasure? Well, it ties into the podcast I'm listening to right now, and it's reality TV. Ah, yes. <laughs> So, yep, there's yeah, it balances me. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and then what is one thing that you do every day to stay healthy? I make sure I get in at least 10,000 steps a day. Staying active is key. Yeah. So staying active. Excellent. Carmel, thank you so much for joining me today for this discussion on women's health. No problem, Danielle. Thanks again for having me. Anyone 18 or over in the United States can be a Crossover Health member. At Crossover, you stay connected to a care team that works together and gets to know you over time. A doctor, a nurse, a mental health expert, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a health coach, a fitness coach, and a care navigator. Go to crossoverhealth.com to join the healthcare revolution. If you like our podcast, please follow or subscribe and leave a review. If you have a topic you want us to explore, let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Crossover Health. Until next time, be well.